Welcome back to Ultra Chill. This week, we're talking with Sam Purfoy, the CEO of Playground Labs. They are building games based on blockchain technology, and Sam has some strong opinions about how that should be done and why. Let's get to it. Welcome, Sam. All right. Well, thanks a bunch, Rami, for having me on. Can you tell me a little bit about Playground Labs and what you guys are trying to achieve? Sure. So Playground tackles a number of issues at the intersection of blockchain and gaming. Uh, our objective is basically to build both content as well as infrastructure pieces that underpin this transition into you know, the Web3 gaming space. Um, some of the components that we've built to date include uh, some content pieces with the Drone Racing League. You may have seen a trailer that we dropped about a month or two ago where we're deploying a game called Drone Galaxy, which is essentially this kind of Mario Kart-inspired three-dimensional racing game where you can collect each one of the individual components of your drones, assemble them, build your own tracks, mint them as NFTs, and then ultimately race against other folks for rewards, which you can mint out to the chain. And the approach that we've taken with both the games and the infrastructure out of our studio uh, is to you know put blockchain in the background and move UX and pure gameplay mechanics up to the foreground. Uh, and all of that kind of underpins what I believe to be the biggest issue in crypto today, which is really that crypto has a very, very serious UX problem. Uh, and if we don't solve this and we cannot communicate, you know, Web3 gaming or broader blockchain principles to an ordinary crowd, uh, then, then crypto stands a very real risk of, you know, kind of running by the wayside. And so everything that we do at Playground Labs is really trying to address that critical UX issue of how do you get any ordinary consumer, not just interested in blockchain, but excited about using some of these technologies and the things that they promise. Uh, that's really interesting because at Ultra, we are very focused on UX and I really agree with you. I'd be curious to see uh, what specific examples you guys are trying to uh, solve for. Yeah, sure. So we've got, um, we have two products uh, that we sit on the SaaS side of the business right now that I think might be interesting to you folks. So one of them is a, uh, a browser gaming web portal. Uh, and so, you know, obviously uh, Ultra, you guys all are trying to tackle the Steam variant. Uh, of how do you get access to ordinary consumers for some of these Web3 games. We're trying to tackle it from the you know more addicting games type variant of a ton of these games already exist inside of Web3 in a browser. How do you get that to an ordinary consumer in a way where they can just show up to the, uh, show up to the game page, play on top of a website, maybe not even realize that they're playing a Web3 game, but still interact with each one of those core blockchain components that underpins it and really own NFTs, own tokens in a neat compliant fashion. That's one of the ways that we tackle it. Then beyond that, in our game development and our content pieces, everything that a consumer sees inside of the game, all of those core loops and core components can be done without needing to interact with blockchain at all. And what I mean by that is effectively that when you step into one of our games, you're going to be able to play the whole core game loop without needing to go, you know, press a wallet signature or mint a token, et cetera. And it's not because you've, you know, uh, intentionally blocked yourself off from those concepts. It's because you have the choice as the player to opt in at the moment that feels right for you. So that means that, you know, say you're playing one of our games and you get to level five or level 10, your battle pass will pop up and it'll say, look, you have the option to mint a free NFT 
of one of your hard in-game earned assets. And it's at your discretion if you want to move that asset to the chain. Because from our perspective, we really just see the blockchain as a checking account, more or less, right? You know, I wouldn't force you to bank with Bank of America or, you know, Chase or any other bank in particular. I would give you the option at the end of the day, where do you want to withdraw your savings to? Where do you want to store these things? And so we take that same type of philosophy into our content and infrastructure pieces, where the assumption is principally that a user can earn and own digital assets of some type. And then at their discretion, they can choose where to move those assets on chain. And at that point, obviously, they're the users, they can trade them, sell them, do whatever they like. But those are the types of motifs that we like to play around with. One of the questions that I had written out here was whether regular gamers even need to know whether they're taking advantage of blockchain based games. I mean, like, should they be opaque to them? Or should there be some transparency and give them the option? Yeah, I, I love that question. I actually just recently wrote a piece on what I see as a bifurcation in game design around blockchain. Um, I actually think that it sits very firmly in two camps. I think that there are some game types that you're going to see emerge that are so principally blockchain and so ingrained in that technology where it actually wouldn't make sense to obfuscate to the user that they're interacting with a blockchain. For example, things like Wolf Game, where you need to interact with an on-chain contract and you're going to post some sort of an NFT and some sort of staking position. And that's part of the game. It's part of the fantasy to interact with the blockchain. Whereas where I think the majority of games will sit is kind of in this, you know, put the blockchain in the background bucket. And this is the description that I used earlier on our own content pieces, where any ordinary consumer will walk into a game environment and they will basically perform all ordinary game activities, but then have the option to, you know, either mint out their NFTs, uh, their game assets as NFTs out to the chain, or, you know, extract some of their in-game currency or gold pieces as an actual token on chain, but never the obligation. And so we call this, you know, really it is, it's an opt-in process for these Web2 type gamers. And we think that games ultimately do sit in this type of bifurcated uh, industry setup where you have people who have leaned in really, really hard to blockchain. And that's part of the core fantasy. And it's completely okay. It's it's for a very specific niche of players. But then you have a larger subsegment, which has put blockchain in the background and treated it, you know, like a, like any AWS database ever, you know, has been used in gaming. Uh, and you just treat it as a certificating program instead. So those two bins, while they are very, very different options, neither one of them is necessarily more correct than the other, in my opinion. Uh, and instead, what you really just have is you have a, a bifurcation of the optionality for game developers to choose what level of integration and what target audience they're really trying to capture here. I wanted to talk a little bit about community. Um, how do you think community first projects uh, differ from traditional game ventures? Uh, this is a, also a fantastic question because uh, I think that community obviously gets a bad rap in Web3. Um, Look, we, we have seen the the rise of the the notion that if you have a $100,000 Twitter following, you automatically have an NFT collection that must be worth $100 million, right? That played out in the early part of 2022 and colossally imploded towards the end of the year. And what we've seen now is we've seen a reflex against type of things like that, where now people are like, well, I discount the value of community to zero, right? There is no value to community. What does that even mean? That's not a tangible revenue driver. And the reality is, obviously, as it always is, that it sits somewhere in between the two extremes, right? Um, 
when you have a community-driven project, you have input from day one about what your actual consumer and your actual client is asking you to construct. That is a material uh, revenue driver in the long run, right? It may not drive revenue today when you're still surveying and collecting data, et cetera. But obviously, in the long run, most successful businesses have been run on this concept of know your client, know your consumer, uh, and really build towards a product market fit in that direction. I think that what we've seen with Web3 as opposed to Web2, and this applies really doubly for game development, is this idea of building in the open is so powerful because what you have is you have not only collected user feedback from people who are vested in seeing your project win, but they also can potentially own small parts of your project, be that NFTs or tokens, um, but they, they have some material ownership of either the project itself or of the ecosystem that you've built around your project. So the net answer to your question, right, is that while having a community of, you know, 100,000 or 1 million people on its own may not be indicative of something that, you know, is like a, a perfect project or a perfect investment one way or the other, uh, you know, not having a community at all, frankly, is a hindrance now. And so when you look at the way that uh, games have been developed traditionally, right, for the past two decades or so, it's overwhelmingly been in the dark. You know, you 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 have these development cycles which are potentially years long, and then you come out and you, you might have a beta or an alpha and you just cross your fingers and hope that everybody loves your game and falls, you know, uh, head over heels for it. But the reality is, is that as we've seen, you know, game development move and really even large scale product development move, um, it's getting to be more and more in these iterative cycles where it's it's synergistic with the consumer. So consumers want to participate earlier. They want to give their feedback and they want to feel part ownership of these projects. And in that capacity, you know, Web3 really does go some distance towards enabling a lot of that. Because while you could be transparent in Web2 the whole way through, and you could frankly even run a Kickstarter in Web2, Web3 enables you to think outside the box. You can launch NFTs. You can issue a token airdrop. You have optionality to really bring your community in together and make that feedback loop so much stronger. I think that's a really in-depth, really interesting answer. And it kind of sidesteps the next question that I was going to ask, because I, I think like the last couple of years, the way that we've been uh, talking about uh, community first projects is that they are like this like process that everybody understands. And I think especially over the last six months, uh, it's been very become very clear that the process is evolving and it's not what we thought it was. And I'm curious like what your take on the process going into the future is actually going to be because I think that we uh, know that focus only on the community is, like you said, going to be an ineffective strategy moving forward. But I think also the traditional Web2 uh, stratagem of uh, we know the best um, you know, here here's the product that we we have developed. Uh, enjoy it is also pr pretty much dead. So, as you say, there's something in the middle. What what do you think that is? Yeah, I you know I I don't know if there's going to be a one size fits all answer here. Um, you know, I've seen a couple things over the past year that I've I've thought were clever campaigns to involve the community at the lowest level of production and really get them moving. Um, you know, just to randomly call it a couple names, I really try to not do that. So these are not financial, you know, uh, decisions or investment uh, advice of any kind, guys. But just as examples, you know, of neat things, um, Alluvium has done a fantastic job since day one of building openly and, uh, you know, in combination with their community. Um, 
you know, they've leveraged things which I would describe, frankly, as Web3 mechanics around things like their Illuminati Council, right, where certain community members are openly and democratically elected to hold these specific, you know, NFT certificates, which basically imbue them with the power to make certain voting decisions, which may or may not govern large, you know, gameplay decisions. And so it's, it's creative expression and thinking like that, where it's, how do you level up your community to not just be some random survey respondent on the internet, right? Like that's, that's, uh, that's fantastic. That's helpful. That helps you know your customer and helps you build in the right direction. But it doesn't build the kind of two-way value and utility alignment that we really expect to see out of the full Web3 promise, right? The Web3 flywheel, uh, as I like to describe it, is kind of this virtuous loop between the user becomes both the buyer and the owner, right? And in that scenario, they sit in both seats. They both want to participate in the ecosystem and they want to build the ecosystem. And that's a feedback loop that is very difficult to break if you nail that correctly. So some of these, you know, more creative ways where you you drop uh, NFTs to your earliest adopters, or, you know, you, you do a token airdrop to your earliest adopters, or you put them on councils, and they govern a part of either, you know, in some cases, your treasury directly or parts of your gameplay indirectly. These are types of mechanics that I think we start to see incorporated earlier and earlier into the production cycle. Um, and frankly, I, I'm actually very interested and fascinated fascinated by projects who launch almost as an open idea. Uh, and maybe they don't take outside investment at all, right? There's zero outside or VC investment, uh, no private investors. All of it is either community fundraised and participated, and they just build entirely in the open. There are obvious problems with this, right? Uh, you need a centralized team to execute. Game design and uh, development is notoriously difficult, even for a very tightly knit team. And so it's complex for a you know a kind of disembodied or decentralized organization to pull that off. But there is the potential to kind of meet you know these motifs halfway and to leverage the power of having distributed a distributed community force that owns part of the project but then at the same time also capture some of the upside from having a tight-knit group of core developers who takes a ton of input and really incorporates it at the lowest level from those community contributors sam i wanted to deeply thank you for your time and for your expertise yeah rami of course appreciate you having us on 